to me why I always get the best topics to speak on. This time, of course, I must confess that Brother Ralph Balog and I were on the program committee. That helps. But really, that's not the reason I have this topic or this time. We hadn't planned it that way, but at the board meeting, our plans were somewhat changed, and here I am on Sunday night speaking on what I at first wondered about. I thought, now, how much can you really say about that phrase, to meet the Lord in the air? But, oh, I got started, and I got more and more thrilled every night I studied about that meeting in the air. I wonder how many of you remember Brother Bill Schmidt singing, There's going to be a meeting in the air in the sweet, sweet by and by. I'm going to meet to meet you there in that home beyond the sky. Such singing will be there never heard by mortal ear. Twill be glorious, I do declare. For God's own Son will be the leading one in that meeting in the air. How many know that? Come on, let's sing it, shall we? Oh, there's going to be a meeting in the sweet, sweet by and by. I'm going to meet, to meet you there in that home beyond the sky. Such singing will be there, never heard by mortal ear. Twill be glorious, I do declare. For God's own Son will be the leading one in that meeting in the air. Thank you. Brother Schmidt used to sing that every convention for sure, and if we didn't ask him, we were afraid he had such, such a bad heart. And we were afraid to ask him lest he'd drop right dead on the platform. But if we didn't ask him that last night, he was waving his sheet. Come on, you didn't ask me yet. <laughs> and we'd ask him and bless his heart. He's now with the Lord. But what times we had singing that song, The Meeting in the Air. Shall we turn, please, to 1 Timothy chapter, 1 Thessalonians, I'm sorry. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and here's our phrase, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Beloved, as I've studied this passage, this phrase, for the last two weeks or so, mostly nights, I am thoroughly convinced that this is the most appropriate occasion of our whole Christian experience. Of all we've ever done, all we ever will do, nothing ever was or ever will be so appropriate, so fitting as the meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ in the air. Now, the first thing I wish you would notice about it is that 
from the wording just as it is here in the authorized version. This is not a chance meeting. Your wife may come home and say, who do you think I met? Now, there's a word for that in the Greek, but this isn't it. The word that's used here is, an, is a planned meeting or a called meeting. Here he says, we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, we can't catch ourselves up. We can't just rise and go up. He's going to summon us. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Indeed, the word apontesis here is not a verb. It's a noun. Some have translated it for a meeting with the Lord in the air. But it doesn't make any difference. The wording here is clear enough. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The same word is used, oh, several places, but in Acts 28, 18, remember it says Paul was going toward Rome and they came, as, came to meet us as far as Appii Forum, or the three taverns. I don't know why they went to three taverns there to meet, but I'm sure that was no doubt a place where they could get lodging and food and no doubt it was then like it is now. You can hardly find a place where liquor is not served if you live anywhere near Chicago. But anyway, they, they met. They came to meet them. It was planned. Let's go to meet Paul. And they came as far as Appii Forum, or the Three Taverns. Now, what is this planned meeting? Beloved, I think there is considerable evidence that it is nothing less than the judgment seat of Christ. Do you know of any other meeting? He doesn't say we're going to be caught up just to see the Lord and be with him. That will be wonderful. But this is to meet with him or for a meeting with him. Turn please to 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Russ Miller called my attention to this and I hadn't thought of this one. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. Until when? Until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. When? When the Lord comes. When the Lord comes and brings to light the hidden things, then we'll receive rewards, oh, thank God, for things that we probably never even thought of in many cases, but he thought of them, he appreciated them, and we're going to be rewarded for them. Turn, please, to Second Timothy, chapter 4, and verse, verses 7 and 8, where the Apostle Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me when? shall give me at that day. 
What day? Well, let's read on. And not to me only, but unto all them also which love his appearing. That's when he's going to give Paul that crown. And that's when we, if we have served him well, will also receive crowns. Now a word about where this meeting is to be held. And here I'm afraid that there is much misunderstanding. Now we just sang that little song about that meeting in the air and by way of accommodation I sang all the way through it but there's really a little mistake there. It says that meeting of the air is going to take place in that home beyond the sky. Now that's not what it says. It says we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord where? Let's all say it together. In the air. In the air. Now lest there's any question about where that is, our English word air is directly derived from the Greek word air pronounced exactly the same way. And any Greek dictionary or lexicon will tell you that it means the atmosphere around us and above us. You have the same word in Acts 23, 23, when it says they tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air. Now they didn't get as far as space, outer space even, let alone the highest heavens, the Epuranius, but they threw their, this dust up into the air. And it says we're going to be caught up into the air, the atmosphere above us to meet in. Now, you have several passages along this line, in fact, quite a few. But I have marked down two here that surely you'll remember. Remember, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, I beat my body under and so on. And he says, so fight I, I deal telling blows, not as one that beateth the air. I'm not just boxing and hitting nothing. I deal telling blows to keep my body under, not as one that beateth the air. You have it again in 1 Corinthians 14, 9, where Paul says to the speaker or the one giving a testimony, if you don't speak words easy to be understood, you'll just be speaking into the air. I remember years ago when we first came into the truth of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was a at that time, a post-millennialist speaking against it. And he got up and he made a great oration, but I could not follow the man. I don't know, didn't know what in the world he was talking about. And after we left the service, almost nobody had their Bibles along except the premillenarians. We had our Bibles and were trying to follow the preacher. But he didn't say much about the Bible except a few remarks here and there, and after it was over, we heard some of the people talking together, oh, wasn't he deep? Wasn't he deep? And I asked one of them, well, what did he say? <laughs> what was he Well, they couldn't tell me that, but they knew it was deep. <laughs> well, you see, that's exactly what Paul is speaking about. 
He says, if you, if you utter words not easy to be understood, you'll just be speaking into the air. Now, if you'll turn with me, please, to Ephesians 2, I have a little verse that at this point might be a little surprise to you. You've known it all along. Most of you could quote it. But look what this says here. Uh, Ephesians, the uh, second chapter, I'll read the first two verses. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and in sins, wherein in time past ye walked, according to the course of this world, or age, according to the prince of the power or the authority of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. As I studied this subject, I wondered. You find Satan and his host here called the powers of the air. And Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. But in Ephesians 6, they're called the same ones, are called principalities and powers in heavenly places. And that's not just heaven. Heaven is Uranos in the original. But this is Epuranios, the heavenlies. Epuranios. Now, whenever you find the prefix EP or EPI before a Greek word, it is always a superimposition. I want you to know that I know something about the Greek. It's always a superimposition. Something more, something farther, something greater, something deeper, something higher, something broader, something more, something further. And so when he speaks of the Epiranius, he's speaking of the very highest heavens. Now that's strange, isn't it? Here in Ephesians 2, 2, Paul has those wicked principalities and powers in the air. Right where we are, we're in the air. But in Ephesians 6, he has them in the heavenlies. And I got to wondering a whole evening about that. That bothered me no end. And I thought, and I thought, and I thought, and I thought. There weren't too many scriptures on it. And I wondered, and finally it dawned on me, I think it did, and see whether you don't agree with this. You've heard of the man who wondered at night where in the world the sun had gone. But in the morning it dawned on him. And it was, it was something like that. It was something like that to me when I thought of this. How can that be? The principalities of wickedness in the air and yet the principalities and wickedness in the heavenlies. How can this be? And then I thought, why didn't I see this before? See if you think of it in the same way. What does he say in Ephesians 2, 2? The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And we know that he also works in the saints, doesn't he? To try to confuse and divide them and mix them up as far as the scriptures are concerned. Now here, he is down here. He's doing something. He's trying to blind unbelievers. He's trying to confuse believers. He is at work. But now please turn 
to, well, I can't ask you to turn to Ephesians. I hope you're already there. But let's go to Ephesians, just a few verses. Ephesians 1, verse 3. How naturally the apostles break out into glad doxologies. And this is one of them. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. Now nothing could be clearer. Our blessings are not down here. Our blessings are up there. And the Lord says, if you want them, come up and get them. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing to be appropriated by faith. The second chapter, here he says in the sixth verse, he hath raised us up together, that is us and Christ, raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenlies in Christ. That's our position now. Our blessings are there. Our position is there. And listen, if our blessings are there, should we not appropriate them by faith? If our position is there, should we not occupy that position by faith? Now the third chapter, please. He goes farther. Third chapter, and the, uh, begin at the ninth verse. The eighth verse. Let's back up a little. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach, <clears throat> that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable, the untrackdownable riches of Christ, and to make all see, see the men is in italics, to make all see what is the fellowship or the stewardship of the mystery. <clears throat> which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in the heavenlies might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. <coughs> These wicked spirits have access to the heavenlies too, to the Epiranius, the upper heavenlies. And God would have us show them what he is doing today by carrying it out as far as others are concerned and living it as far as we are concerned. Now if some dear friend, maybe in the study back there, the studio, would get me a glass of water, I'd appreciate it. Thanks. I see the moving already out of the corner of my eye. Now, now go please to Ephesians 6. Now I ask you, who is he asking to do something? The, let's see, the 12th verse. For we, wait a minute, we go back to the 10th again. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. May I interpolate something there, inject something? God has given you a position in the heavenlies, and the devil doesn't like it. God is going to give you, already has given you in position, his place. Somebody's going to take you up there. 
but he's given you Satan's place and Satan doesn't like it. So be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Thank you, Dick. You're my friend. I'm a little tickle there. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Oh, I so heartily agree with what Brother Johnson said before this service. We're not merely to do what they're begging us to do. Give an objective message. Stay away from the negative. Listen, with the world going and the church going as it is, any man of God had better be a bit negative as well as positive. He says, be strong. Don't let the devil take your place. Stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, really wicked spirits in the heavenlies. Now then, you see that when he speaks of Satan and his hosts as the powers of the air, Satan is doing something. His hosts are doing something, and they are, are they not? We see it all about us. But when he speaks of Satan as the prince of the powers of the, of the, of the heavenlies, thank God he's going to be cast out. We've already been given his position. And God says, stand, keep that position. Don't let him snatch it away from you. Now then, do you see how here in 1 Thessalonians 4, Christ comes down to the area where we have suffered so ignominious defeat. Christ comes down to the area where Satan has so often has his way. Why? What is this meeting? What's it for? What's it about? I know there was a very great preacher at one time, and uh, there was one other preacher who had a church, and he, he practically had to invite him to speak. This man was speaking all over among the fundamentalists, a great, a truly great preacher. And uh, the other preacher came to him one night and he said, uh, Pastor Savinsma, I wonder whether you would speak at our church on Sunday morning, such and such a date. But I'd like you to do this with me if you'll kind of play ball with me. Let's keep it a secret and it will be a surprise to our people. <laughs> you know what that game was. The pastor couldn't get the crowds that Savinsma did. So let's keep it a secret, you see. And Savinsma wouldn't fill his church all the way full. At any rate, I remembered that as a young lad, and Savinsma said, no, let's not do that. Several people there might get strokes. We would better just, just have it. If you want to have me speak, I'll be happy to do it. But I don't think we should make it a surprise. Well... The Lord Jesus is going to come to this area where we have so failed and failed even each other. Why? 
so that things might be made right. Let's look, please, at this question now of the judgment seat of Christ. The word bema is used there in that phrase. You have it in Romans 4.10. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5.10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And many have made much of that word bema. But I'm, I think I'm getting to learn more and more what the apostle means when he cautions us against doting about words or strifes of words. This word bema is also used of regular trials at court where people are either condemned or, or uh, judged not guilty. So the word itself doesn't mean too much except that that word was used at the races, for example, and at the games where the judges gave out the rewards. But the word itself is not used about rewards, the giving out of rewards only, or about judges at games or contests only. Now, turn please to 1 Corinthians 3, one passage where we read about the judgment seat of Christ, and see what we are going to be judged for. When the Lord comes into this area right, right above us, right here where we have so often been defeated, what's he going to do? What are we going to be judged for? 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 and 11. Paul says, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise or as an instructed master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. As somebody said today, it doesn't say, Peter laid the foundation, and I'm building thereon. <laughs> this is a new foundation, the start of something new. I've laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon, but that let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man build or lay, at least in the program of God. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, Christ Jesus. Peter's foundation was built on Christ, wasn't it? Christ said, but whom say ye that I am? And oh, there's where I want to take off my hat to Peter. Generally, if you'd ask Peter a question, while others would be thinking, Peter'd be talking right away. <laughs> you know, he was that tight. But oh, in this case, I'm so proud of him that he did talk right away. He didn't say, I believe that thou art the... No, no. He didn't say, as far as I see it. No, no. He doesn't say all the evidence. No, he spoke as the oracles of God that day. Thou art the Christ. Thou art the Messiah, the Son of the living God. How often we find that in the Gospels, especially John's Gospel. That's why John's gospel was written. What's that in the 20th chapter, verses 30 and 31? Many other miracles Christ did, which are not written in this book, but these, these miracles are recorded. Why? That you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son 
of the living God and that believing he might have life through his name. That was Peter's message. That was Peter's belief. That was the rock on which the kingdom church was to be and will be built. Christ the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But here comes Paul and he says, Now I've laid a foundation. Remember with him it's, If thou shalt confess Jesus as Lord, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him up from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's a good deal more on that. We don't have time to read or to quote it all. But the fact is, Paul started another foundation, but also on Christ. So this is important. He says, other foundation, I beg your pardon, at the end of the 10th verse, let every man take heed how he builds on this foundation. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, Jesus Christ. And now look, if any man build on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's, what's the next word? A little louder. Work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. The fire shall try every man's what? Work. Work of what sort it is. If any man's what? Work. Work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's what? Work. Work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. My dear friends, we are going to be judged when the Lord Jesus Christ comes for our workmanship, what kind of work we have done. And I must say with sorrow, it makes my heart bleed to think that there are those who can go dashing down the road in their spiritual automobiles and not even stop to get a road map. Not what kind of work we have done. And I must say with sorrow, it makes my heart bleed to think that there are those who can go dashing down the road in their spiritual automobiles and not even stop to get a road map. Not even stop to find out what God is doing what his objective is, so they can go in the same direction. Today, if you just love Jesus, if you just love souls, if you just say Jesus is the light of the world, if you just get next to people and, and invite them to, to take Christ's hand and walk through life with him, oh, what a shame. Oh, it's good for statistics. They can get hundreds of names on the dotted line. But when will our spiritual leaders awake to the fact that God is concerned with our workmanship and how long it will endure, whether that will endure the fires of the judgment seat of Christ? I feel, beloved, and I think you feel with me, that at that day it will be humblingly wonderful to receive rewards for workmanship that he can approve. 
wonderful to receive rewards as workmen who need not to be ashamed because they rightly divide the word of truth. But it will be terribly embarrassing and disappointing to be put to shame in that day, having to suffer loss. Says he himself, oh, you won't suffer salvation. You won't lose your salvation. He himself shall be saved, but so is by fire. Like a man that's just escaped with nothing, running naked from the flames, he has nothing, nothing. He's lost it all. It's gone up in smoke. Oh, maybe some of the souls that he talked to were actually saved. They won't go up in smoke, but his workmanship will. Rewards lost. Oh, I pray that all of us will take seriously that important verse. Do you want to be workmen approved of God? Workmen who won't someday stand there ashamed? Then study to show thyself approved unto God. Workmen, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Turn, please, to 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to be judged also for our conduct. Please look at the 10th verse. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. May I say first of all that this terror, it's a, it's a correct translation. It means to be almost petrified with fear. It is the word terror. You say, is there going to be terror at the judgment seat of Christ? Listen, if I were called to see the President of the United States tomorrow, I think I'd be petrified. Don't you? Well, maybe you wouldn't, but I'm that type. I think I'd, I'd shake with, I'd tremble that whole night. I wonder, do I know how to do things right? What will I do? How will I act? What will I say? Well just to stand before him. That's a wholesome fear. It's a kind of fear we all have. <coughs> it says about the unsaved that they'll be condemned because there's no fear of God before their eyes. That's a fear we ought to know. My dad, I, I, I'm sure every one of us, <coughs> pardon me, every one of us children knew that he loved us. We loved him. He used to dandle us on his knees. But he was a man of stern discipline as well. And we were afraid of him too. The right kind of fear. I wrote a little track, the nicest teacher in the school. Oh my, I remember when I broke that window pole. Chasing another boy around the class and I fell and oop, the pole broke. Oh, the first thing I thought, what if dad finds out? <laughs> what if dad finds out? That's a wholesome fear. It's a good fear to have. Now then, there's another word I'd like to mention here. 
we're going to receive for the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad. Now that bad does not denote sins. It does not denote evil, except in one of its meanings. Here I wrote down from a lexicon the word kakos means the lack in a person or thing of those qualities which should be possessed. Get it? In other words, he's going to judge us, judge our works to see whether they be good or no good. See, there's so much we do. You say, well, those are sins. I thought he paid for them. Yes, he did. But practicing those sins, what good were you to him? What good was I to God when I did those things that I knew were wrong? What kind of a testimony was I to the Lord Jesus Christ? And someday we're going to have to meet him for that. Now, my beloved friend, concerning this terror of the Lord, I must say I want it to happen. I want to be summoned before the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know how you are, but it seems to me, speaking of this as the most appropriate occasion in all our Christian experience, it seems to me that every sincere Christian would want to make these hidden wrong things right, would want to have them made right, wouldn't you? I think there would be something inappropriate about going right up into heaven with all these things and many that we've forgotten unconfessed, uncleared away. I know he's paid for them. Ah, but I did them after I was saved. As a Christian, remember, those sins are much more serious than the ones you committed before you knew him. And I must say that as afraid as I surely will be when that time comes, I want it to happen. I want to get these things cleared away. I don't know if, how many of you know this, but there was a day before Pastor O'Hare went to be with the Lord. He wouldn't see his wife. He wouldn't see Brother Baker. He wouldn't see me. And we were old friends, his closest friends, perhaps. We wondered why... His wife said all he would say was he wanted one day just to be alone. I think I know what he meant. He wanted one day just to be alone with the Lord <laughs> and to be able to confess down here and say, Oh, Lord, I remember this now. I'm sorry. I, if I know J.C. O'Hare right, I think that's what he was doing, but I... I can't say for sure, but I know that Paul says, if you judge your sins, you wouldn't have to be judged for them. And I pray that I, and I pray for you, my beloved friends, that we may, by his grace, seek to clear things up as they come, as we go along, and see the need of doing it so that we may not lose our spiritual power. But in any case, he's going to see. He's graciously going to have a talk. He's going to have a meeting with us about these things. 
as he says in 1 Corinthians 4 about these hidden things of the heart. And he's going to have them all straightened out. I wrote that little book. I took it up with me to remind it. We have them back there. I took a few extra in case you may want them. Will there be tears in heaven? Not in heaven, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are tears up there. I don't know. We'll have changed bodies, but there will be what will be tantamount to tears. I'm sure of that because we're going to suffer some losses. And thank God we're also going to receive rewards, rewards for things that we probably have forgotten all about. Well, time is going, but I did start a little late, so you'll give me a few extra minutes. Let's go to Romans 8, please, and the 18th verse. One more thing we're going to receive rewards for. Remember, in 2 Timothy 2.12, I'll just quote that, if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. We'll be rewarded for suffering, for our service, for our conduct, for our suffering for him. And do you know what? That includes even that suffering, which is the natural byproduct of our having been left here on enemy territory as ambassadors for Christ. Look at it. Romans 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, and he's speaking here about human and bodily afflictions. I reckon that the sufferings of these, this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. There's an even stronger statement and very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. <clears throat> For our light affliction. Oh, you say you say they're light, Brother Stam? No, I don't. And to me, some of these afflictions have seemed very heavy and doubtless to you too. But Paul calls them light by comparison. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us. There it is, as clear as could be. Our afflictions, our sufferings, work for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. <clears throat> That's marvelous. I was able, by the grace of God, to comfort Mrs. Stan, when she suffered so, and how she'd hang on a third verse and read it again, hold it in her hand and read it. Our light affliction. That's the way it'll seem then. But for a moment, why, how fast our years go. And the older we get, the faster those new years fly by. But our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us afar more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So, my beloved friend, when your arthritis pains you, or when you have a headache, or when you have any other pain or illness, remember, you're going to get paid for every bit of it. This is an investment. He's allowed us here on enemy territory. Paul was thrown in jail. And there the book of Acts closes with Paul in prison. 
as the greatest demonstration of the fact that this is the dispensation of grace. God leaves his ambassador in jail on enemy territory and doesn't even declare war. What grace! Well, for every bit of the suffering uh, which this entails will be richly rewarded. Now, one closing word about the difference between the judgment seat of Christ and every other judgment of God, the judgment of the nations and the judgment of the great white throne in particular. Where we learn most is not from words, individual words again. We don't get the full light from merely the word bema, that dais, that judgment seat of which he, to which he refers. Ah, no, we learn most from the passages that discuss it. For example, we saw from 1 Corinthians 4, when he comes, he'll bring to light the hidden things, and then shall every one of us have praise of God. Oh, that's marvelous. Do you see the emphasis? That's when you'll get your rewards. Not now, then. Remember what he says? Every man shall receive for the good he has done. And uh, if we suffer, Second Timothy 2, if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. And in the uh, 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, we shall receive rewards or no judgment, that is no punishment, will suffer loss. That will be serious enough. And it will be a great embarrassment to suffer loss. But what a difference from what I read. Now I'm going to read this to you. Here we come to the judgment that will follow, <coughs> pardon me, that will follow the great tribulation. <coughs> Second Thessalonians 2 and verses, beg your pardon, 1 first, verses 7 to 9. I'll begin with verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus Christ shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, how does he come? In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. Uh, and who obey not the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Do you see the difference? What a difference. Look at the second chapter, please. The seventh verse. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he that letteth or hindereth will hinder until he be taken out of the way. <clears throat> and then shall that wicked or that wicked one be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this go cause, God shall send them a strong delusion 
that they might believe a lie, that they all might be damned or condemned who believe not the truth, but add pleasure in unrighteousness. I won't go farther. The time is too far gone, but you may want to write down Revelation 19:15. There he comes, his eyes like a flame of fire. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he might smite the nations. And the twentieth chapter, the great white throne, there he is. The throne is called great because of the, of the breadth of its jurisdiction, no doubt. It's called white because of its dazzling brilliance. That throne is not sullied with any crookedness, any wrong. It's not sullied with any, any dishonesty on the part of the judge. What about the witnesses? Are oh, the great witnesses there who knows everything and will play the record back as it were and let men hear and see for themselves what they've done. And there are more witnesses. Every man's heart, every man's conscience, every man's face and the books. Oh, what a terrible time that will be with no ray of brightness in the whole picture that is no ray of glad brightness. Do you see now the difference between the judgment seat of Christ and the terrible judgments which are to be poured out upon the nations and upon all Christ rejectors? Oh, I pray that if there's even one here tonight who is a stranger to the Lord Jesus Christ, that right now, right there, in your own seat you will flee from the wrath to come and say God have mercy on me I acknowledge that I'm a sinner I do trust Christ as my Savior I do call upon him as my Lord oh do it don't go out of this place unsaved don't leave with the stakes all against you don't gamble when the stakes are so high Oh, right now, place your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm always so afraid that if you were asked to do that, that you might not do it just right. And you'd feel that if I gave you anything to do, well, did I do it right? All you have to do is to want to be saved. All you have to do is to ask for it. That's all. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is said once in connection with Israel and once in connection with the say, the unsaved today. Won't you just call as our brother Wynn comes forward, please, and leads us in a word of prayer. Won't you just in your heart of hearts say, Lord, I do want to. I do want to be saved. I do want to know that my sins are forgiven. And say, Lord, will you save me? And see if he won't, Brother Wayne.